Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Good morning, church. Wasn't worship great today? It's always great to get into that presence of the heartfelt nature of who Jesus is in our life. We're in the month of heart for, and we've had heart for word, heart for for prayer, and today we've got heart for the house, the household of faith. And the title of my message is that we may be one. Um, the church, and when, you, when I think about the church, I think uh, I had a revelation many years ago that the church was like a diamond. A diamond is a beautiful stone that when light hits it from different directions, for different people seeing it in different avenues, it's, they see the marvel of the diamond in many different ways. And the church for me is a multifaceted um, uh, entity that God has created through Jesus uh, that doesn't matter whether you're young or old, it has a different feel, it can have a different expectation, a different method, uh, it's full of diversity, and uh, even though the diamond itself is unified. And what we see is we have had many rev- um, revivals throughout the throughout history, and uh, and it's interesting when you look at the first six books of the Bible, uh, first six chapters of Acts, we see that the qualities of what is a revival and what is the, what is the essence of when church is really pumping. Acts 1 is the power of the promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit coming. Acts 2 is about the power of that spirit. Acts 3 is the power of the name of Jesus. And, and, and in the churches that declare the name of Jesus uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the promise, see great things happen. We see the power of our own witness, the witness of, uh, of the followers. Uh, chapter 5, we see the power of unity. And in chapter 6, we see the power of diversity. So that's the power of the promise, the spirit, his name, his, 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 our witness, unity, and also diversity. But what I'm going to look at today is what we call, is often, I call it the Lord's Prayer. Not our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That is really the disciples' prayer. It was the prayer that he gave to teach the disciples how to pray. But this is the prayer that Jesus prays to the Father in the moments before he is to be betrayed and executed and then rising from the dead. And we find it in John 17. It's the whole chapter of John 17. I haven't got time to read it today, and I really strongly encourage you during this week just to spend a couple of times. You might have to read it three or four times to really get the essence of what Jesus has. It's the by far the longest prayer. Uh, in the uh, ESV, it's referred to as the high priestly prayer. It, sometimes it's also called the farewell prayer. And this is a prayer that Jesus is given to in front of his 11 disciples. At this time, Judas is not present. He's off about to betray Jesus. Uh, but here he is with his 11 disciples. Now, the high priestly prayer was one where the high priest would go into the uh, holies of holies uh, in, the, in, in the times of Israel. And he would have his breastplate. And his breastplate would have 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And when Aaron, being the first high priest, would enter the holy place, he would bear the names of the sons of, uh, of Israel and over his heart. And it was called the breastplate of decision. And it was to be a continuing memorial uh, before the Lord. And in other words, the high priest came before God, not just as an individual coming before God to receive or as a leader, but he came representing all the people. And we see here that Jesus, this prayer was in a unique time in, in, in the ministry of Jesus. It was at the end, 
This is when he's giving the final instructions to his disciples. This is just before he's betrayed. And, and what happens is when he's betrayed, things rapidly cha- uh, evolve. And he's um, whipped and he's beaten. Uh, and then he's crucified. He dies and he rises from the dead. This is really his last opportunity where he can pray. And, and, in, and sort of a, it's a more of an encouragement. And there's a, there's a couple of great YouTube clips, if you want to have a look at it, where actors have tried to act out Jesus and, and gives you a sense of the intimacy that this prayer has uh, with Jesus to his disciples. He's praying to God, his Father, in front of his disciples, and he's praying to his disciples. And there's a series of petitions that we see. And what we see here is the key theme of this message is about the glorification of the Father. Jesus talks initially about the Father and their relationship in the prayer. And we see in, in, in verse 3 of chapter 17, And this is eternal life, that they may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We see in this prayer that God gave the Son the authority to give eternal life, to get people out of the world and into the blessing that God the Father wants to give. The Father had given the Son work to accomplish. And here, here he is, he's re- restating that he had come from heaven as a servant on earth and that he was going to die. And he was recording this to the Father of what he had achieved. He also, the Father, gave the Son his word, his name and his glory. The Son gave, gives believers, he says, the ability to have eternal life through, the, through believing in the name of Jesus. He also gave us, uh, to the disciples, the Father's word and the manifestation of the power of the Father's name and the glory of the Father and the Son together. And he really talks here about the the essence of unity, that that they are like one, the Father and the Son. Uh, In here, obviously, later on when the Holy Spirit comes, it's the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, that triune nature of who God is. Blended together in oneness, in one, and he talks in great passion about that in the first part of the prayer. The son asks the father to glorify him because he has come and done the servant duty. He, he also asks the father to keep believers in the father's name, to keep him in their in in in, in their, his presence, to keep the believers from the evil one, because he knew that the evil one would target those who. Uh, in the covering of the Father. He also wants to sanctify the believers in truth so that we live a life of not just uh, existence, but we live in an element of truth and to make believers one in unity. And this is the key essence of what we're going to talk about today is that making believers one in unity, that oneness, that we may be one. And Jesus' followers and the world, he says we were sent into the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world, and that the world may hate us because of it. And the and this prayer, and if you when you read it a few times, and if you want to listen to this uh, podcast again, there's five five petitions that Jesus is really, really pushing out there. And like I often think about, it, you know, when people people do their dying declaration, or they they know that they're about to die, um, and what thoughts are going through their head of what's important to them? You know, that, you know, and this would be, you know, I often think about if I was to do a video to play at my funeral, what would I want to say? Uh, 
what are the key things that my life has meant to me and what would I want to pass on to those who valued my life, uh, to my family, my friends and my colleagues? What, what would I want to say to them? And, and this is really what we're getting in here in the Lord, what we, I call the Lord's Prayer or, or what we call the Farewell Prayer. And there's these five petitions. He petitions for glorification based on the work that he has done. The fact that the Father had said and asked him in heaven to come to earth as a servant, to suffer as a servant, and unto death. And we see that in the Christ hymn uh, in Philippians, that he emptied himself of his holiness and his divinity, and he comes to earth. And in that, he, he becomes a man and suffers as a man. But he lays out an example of how we can live our life. He had, he, he, he was, he's a person we can follow that example. That example. So the first petition is that of glorification. His second petition is for his disciples that they may have unity. He petitions then the third petition is the preservation and the sanctification of his own in the world, that these would be beacons of light, of truth, of hope. Love, faith, and hope uh, in the community. The fourth petition is he, he petitions for unity of his own, that the disciples have their unity. He prays that all believe is yet to come. So he's not just praying here for the disciples, but he's praying for those who may come to an understanding of who Jesus is through the words of the disciples. And the last petition is uh, he petitions that the, that the church has unity with him. So the, the fourth one is about how the church has unity, but the fifth one is that the unity of the church is with Christ. And we see these last two petitions, particularly um, in the scripture, in John 17, verse 22 to 23, we read, um, the glory of whom, oh, sorry, the, the glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. In them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have clothed them even as we have loved, sorry, that you have loved them even as you love me. That's amazing, isn't it? He says, Those who are yet to come, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me. <coughs> in verse 26, we read, I make known to them thy name, your name, that you will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The church of Jesus Christ can only be one. It must have unity. The true goal is oneness. And that is extremely important. We see, I, I, like I've seen, uh, like I'm a great believer, no, sorry, I'm a great historian in the sense of uh, I love military history. Uh, I've been studying it my whole life. I, I'm, a, I'm a history buff. It's one reason why I became a history teacher um, for me to do later in life. Um, but the issue is, is that I've seen so many great battles where an overwhelming force of disunity was beaten by a smaller force full of unity. You know, King Henry V at Arkencourt, for example, beating the French, overwhelmed uh, numbers of three to four to one, uh, won the day because of unity. And it's, it's when we have that synergy, and we call that in the army, synergy, and it's like 
I don't know if you've ever seen the old battles that they have, and they, they call them the hollow squares, but basically it's it's a square group of, of, of a regiment with, with three rows of troops with a hollow in the center, and these would march around the battlefield as one. The reason they had to move as one, and it's interesting that, you know, the, the marches that I do today as a soldier uh, is uh, come from those days where, where they were actual military manoeuvres, that the whole square would move, would not lose shape, and would move and attack or retreat or move location to win the battle. But it required each soldier to know his skill, but to understand all of us. And we see on the day of Pentecost that it says that when the rushing wind came, there was cloves of tongues that appeared on each of us, but then all of us received the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. There's moments when it's the each of us, but it must lead to the all of us. And we see that in the military. Each of us is understanding the, who we are in Christ or who we are in the army and what our, our skill set is. But we have to understand how that fits within the greater picture of the all of us. And it's when we do that, we can see that we can move as one. And I, I had the privilege of being um, probably one of the last great um, bata- uh, sorry, uh, task force marches where over 5,000 troops and vehicles uh, moved across a, battle, across a um, parade ground uh, back in 1997. And it was amazing to see the video. It was, uh, we all moved as one, one massive body of formed body of men moving to the, and women moving to the beat of a drum moving to the beat of the pipes and the, and, 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 the, and the trumpets, but moving as one and having that synergy. So that each of us must become the all of us because we must have all things in common. We see in, um, in, the, in this prayer that, that Jesus is one becomes, sorry, when Christians become one, they provide a visible, tangible witness to the world of the truth and the divinity of Jesus. I'll say that again. When Christians are one, we have oneness of unity. We provide a visible, tangible witness, a visible, tangible witness, something that people can touch, something that people can see, witness to the world of the truth and the divinity of Jesus. We read in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 17, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words that they may all be one. He's praying here for us. Back then, 2,000 years ago, when he was praying this prayer, he was praying, I do not ask for these 11, but I also ask for those who will believe in me through their words and their deeds, that they may all be one, just as you, the Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be with us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And that is, when you read that scripture, it's amazing because it literally is a perfection of our vision of the transformation, sorry, the transferring of truth from one generation to a next generation. That's what he's really saying here, is that through our witness of our oneness, the church will grow and be a, a beacon of what the, that the world will see, I believe in Jesus. Because of the church. 
But how do we build unity? That's a big question, isn't it? Um, I often just say, let's just model Jesus' heart. Let's just love like Jesus did. Let's have the hands like Jesus did. You know, having ears to hear, heart to sorry, ears to hear, eyes to see, and the heart willing to respond. I think is often the, you know, the, the thing that um, is. We don't have to be great at anything, really. We just need to love people. Love God, love people. Greatest way to understand how Jesus was was just to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And and with the I said of how can I take Jesus' example and reflect that to the world um, that I'm in. But if we do this as individuals, we don't necessarily necessarily bring people to the revelation that Jesus was who he says he is. As individuals, our vision must transcend the present, reaching those who come to uh, come to us, uh, come after us. What we see here is what Jesus is saying: as individuals, we have an individual responsibility to our families and our close friends, yes, and and our generations. But as a church, our mission must transcend the present, reaching to those who are to come after us. Our biggest prayer must be: let us live an example of what Jesus was to us as a church, so that we make a space for those yet to come. And it's when we make a space for those to come, we're preparing a place. We're preparing, this is the role of the church, is to prepare a place so that when people come, they can see the undeniable truth that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what church is. Church is really an expression of God's love on us and our oneness together and our oneness with Christ and the Father that when they walk in, it's undeniable that Jesus is the Son of God. And from that, they then want to be part of that oneness. We can't be individuals in church. We must long for oneness and fruitfulness in order that the world may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus makes three requests that are sequential, which a sequential request means that the second can't occur unless the first one occurs, and the third can't occur unless the first two occur. And the first thing he says is, and he repeats this a couple of times uh, in the prayer, that they may be one. This is the dominant emphasis of the entire prayer, that they may be one. We must, the church must have unity. The second request that believers may be in Christ, uh, sorry, may be in the Father and the Son. So his second request is that when we become one in Christ, we are then in unity with the Father and the Son. And the third request is that the world may believe that the Father sent Jesus. When you look at that, he's saying we need to be oneness. We must have faith and unity as a household of faith. We must have a heart for the house, the household of faith. And in that, we will then have absolute unity with the Father and the Son. And it is that unity between the church, the Father, the Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that people will know that Jesus is the Son of God. In other words, church unity enables the world to see and understand that Jesus is divine in his origin and that, Jesus, and that God called him to the earth. Let's go back to verse 22, 23. The glory that you have given me, I give to them 
that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that you may be perfectly become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me even as you loved me. This word glory says, <clears throat> the glory he's talking about at the beginning of this, the glory that you have given me <clears throat> is the ability to be a servant. That's really what it sums up to be. He's called us. He left heaven with all his entitlement and he became a servant. He's just asking us to serve one another, to love one another through serving one another, caring for one another, supporting one another, just cherishing one another. And we must be able to do that in the household of faith first, because if we can't do it in the household of faith first, then our religion is in vain. Jesus indicates that the purpose of our servanthood is that we may be perfected in unity. It's through our serving that we become perfected in unity. Now, this word, Greek word for perfect doesn't mean flawless perfection. What it means is a sense of maturity or completeness. So what, really what he's saying is, is that when we serve one another with a loving heart of Jesus, to do, we will develop a unity within ourselves that will come to a level of maturity and completeness. Unity is paramount. Uh, it'll win the day. Thomas Manton in the 17th century, when he was a preacher, said division within the church breeds atheism in the world. And I, I think that's a pretty fair statement. Since the 17th century, the rise of secularism, um, the rise of division, <clears throat> and we just got to see our world today where it is massively um, out, of, out of kilter. There is mass disunity across all aspects of human human existence, um, all the different marches, all the different hatreds, the just people not willing to speak to others but to go out in violent protests. And, I mean, our world is does not understand the word unity. And could you just imagine if the church today was to rise up and excel in unity across the whole globe? Man, what would that do? What would that do? That, to me, that would just be, I've got goosebumps just thinking about it. It, it. The power of God would just be so tangible that people would just go, I, I believe in Jesus because of the oneness of church. E. Stanley Jones said, talk about what you believe and you'll have disunity. Talk about who you believe in. And you'll have unity. And I think that's the key, isn't it? we just got to believe in Jesus. Believe in his example. Believe in the Father and his love for us. And just focus on, on the belief of who Jesus represents. And we will always have unity. How do we showcase the Christian community? And, and like our church has <coughs> um, connect, develop, empower as three pathways. You know, they're, they're three things that help us to guide people on how we can get oneness within the church. If we're connected people, meaning that we share our lives together, that's the first start of unity. If we then develop in our faith and we develop in our knowledge of Jesus and we develop on how to treat one another and if we develop on how we, we, we understand, you know, that there's tithes and offerings, there's, there's, there's worship, there's the power of prayer, there's the, having the love for the word of God and all of those things and develop, then when we lead to empower we're empowered to take that from the church, taking it out into our community, 
uh, in different forms of ministry or whatever that looks like. Where we invite people into a church where they walk in and the tangible experience of church is, oh my goodness, I cannot believe this place. This is so foreign to me. I do not understand it, but I want to be part of it. So it's important that we connect as, as people within the household of faith. If we're not connecting with people, uh, and there's sometimes when we can't connect, and like, you know, during COVID-19, it's, it's been impossible to connect for a period of time. But now that things are opening up, that's why we have connect groups. It's why we have, like, we're having a men's function in September, and we're having a ladies' function soon too. And then, you know, we're, look, we're looking at ways where we, other areas in which we can gather. That connecting together in the household of faith and, and treating it as a priority. It is a priority. Connecting, it's not, it's not a nice to have. It's not a, it's not a oh, yeah, or whatever, you know. It's really... It has to be, I want to be there because it's part of the household of faith. I love it so much. I just love hanging with, with believers. And, and the great thing about the household of faith is you can have the, the person who's just entered with all the you know, stuff that's hanging over their life to someone who's very mature in the faith. Mixed together, and it's that sharp iron sharpening iron, and it's all that, that stuff that comes together. Then all of a sudden, you know, people just evolve. They develop which is our second thing. It's about developing people in their faith. So like I joined the army back in 1993. I knew nothing. But I, I was treated as part of a greater organisation. And, you know, 27, nearly 28 years later, you know, more is expected of me because I've matured. I've, I've developed. I've grown. I've, I've you know, gone up the ranks. Um, uh, all that sort of stuff. And, and it's the same in church. Church is about... Taking the, the weakest of us to the strongest of us and, more, and, and moving people through so that we have more people at this end, so that more people can come in this end. And we just, it's continually moving through. And it's that not perfection of, of, um, of being doing things perfectly, but it's showing the love of Jesus to the people within us that we want to see everybody developed. And ultimately, that leads to then people being empowered through the power of the Holy Spirit to be equipped for the ministry. And the Great Commission says, go and make disciples. We're not asked to go and save the world. We're asked to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Holy Spirit. That means to immerse them in the power of the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them all things to observe, to equip them for the ministry. And that is really the essence of having a heart for the house. Your part. Is, is an important part. It's not just rock up on a Sunday or a connect group and whatever, get what your fill is. That's that each of us. It's not the all of us. The all of us is coming and knowing that each person, with you, what doesn't matter what role you do, we're serving one another. We're caring for one another. We're loving on one another. And therefore, showing the world something that they do not understand. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.